Lord, I ask that you would get me out of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, don't turn your Bible anywhere. Keep it right there. I did that for your convenience. Not really. I just lost our scripture reading, but... Uh, we're going to look at the remaining verses, uh, Lord willing, I'll say that again, if we get to the end of it, uh, we'll finish this chapter. And everyone said, yeah, all right. Uh, well, we're looking at this chapter, and the reason I wanted to go back and, and set the context once again, because Paul is doing some, some wonderful things that, uh, of, of course, right, he's the, Holy, the Holy Spirit's writing through Paul, it's kind of a, you know... Of course, it's wonderful, but uh, he's laying a, a good foundation for this church. I mean, Paul has planted this church, right? And he's writing letters to this church. He's coming back and giving instruction. He doesn't want them to be ignorant in regards to gifts, right? And, and he's telling us, man, we are all members of the body of Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a part of his body, and also, you've been given a gift, and we've looked at these, and, and here in a moment we'll go through them again, uh, just how these gifts are to operate, so, right, and we see the hand of God and the mind of God through this. But by way of introduction, I want you to look at the first few verses here. Uh, Paul says, I don't want you, isn't it amazing that he comes and he says uh, in verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. It seems in Paul's theology, right, Alice, if you're not following Christ, you're going to go to some type of idol, isn't it? Whether that's the idol of self or something else. And he says, look, you can't come and, and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And again, Paul is not talking about lip service. Anyone can say Jesus is Lord. We can say that in a mocking way, can't we? But he's talking about not lip service, but life service. I mean, the Jews listening to this who are, who are leaving Judaism and becoming followers of Christ for a, a good pious Jew to make this statement would be heresy unless they were, uh, you know, coming over and believing in salvation, right? So the Gentiles were coming out from all their pagan roots. It was an acknowledgement. It was a confession that I believe the church needs to understand. And this is the foundation. Paul is going to uh, teach on the gifts in the church and how it should be functioning, and this is his foundation, now, you and I might approach this a different way, but this is how the Holy Spirit is doing it. He's saying, look, there's a, a triune God who's at work in all of this. First, we see in, in uh, verse uh, 6, and there are diversities of, excuse me, back up, uh, 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, right? God, uh, the Holy Spirit, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. We see a God the Son, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God. We see a triune God in the middle of all of this. So we should never, I say you should never come to a moment where you think, I'm unimportant. I have nothing to contribute, right? So I just want to come to church and, and just be there, and, and then I just want to go home. Right? Paul doesn't give you that. Good luck with that, right? There's activity and action. There is a triune God at work in your life who has given you not just salvation in Christ, but he's empowered you with the Holy Spirit to have works and gifts to work in the church. You know, it's always an encouraging thing when you look at passages and, and uh I was, you know, studying and preparing and going back over, and you'll notice in your outline the first two points we covered last time, and I do want to touch on those. That's why I left the kind of outline very much the same. But, it, but I, as I was going back through this, I came across 
Uh, Jonathan Edwards, his understanding of the distinguishing marks of the work of the Spirit of God, and he's working through 1 John, and he says these five things. Right? And we're going to see a consistency of Scripture. But Jonathan Edwards says this, you know, how do you know? It's, it's addressing the question, how do you know it's the Spirit of God that's at work? Right? The, we know there's a, uh, a Spirit that the, the enemy likes to masquerade as a Spirit. So how do we know? He says, well, number one, uh, the Spirit of God is at work if it raises people's esteem of the historic Jesus as both God and man and as the only Savior. Is that not what Paul has been saying right here? We are going to acknowledge Christ as Lord, right? The Bible is consistent. Of course it is. The second thing Jonathan Edwards says is, the Holy Spirit is at work if it operates against the interests of Satan's kingdom by convicting, he goes on to say, by convicting people of sin. For convicted of sin, is that a good thing? Yes, right? God disciplines those whom he loves. We feel that. He's growing us. Number three, he says, if it causes a greater regard for the Holy Scriptures. He says, for the, for the devil hates the Bible since every text is a dart to torment the old serpent. Are you growing in your love for Christ and the Spirit is at work? Are you love for his word as well? Number four, he says, if it leads people to truth. And conforms them in sound doctrine about God, about themselves, and about salvation. Yes, right? We know the Spirit's at work. And the last one he says, uh, if it operates as the Spirit of love for God and men. How do we know if the Spirit is at work? He's going to point you to Christ. He's going to point you to Jesus. He's going to point you to Calvary, Right? It's going to point you to an understanding of who the God of Scripture is and what does Scripture say about us and, and our sin problem. And he's also going to point out how we can deal with our sin problem, right? It is Jesus. The whole book is a book of redemption, the Bible. We have sin enters in chapter 2 of the first book, right? Or technically chapter 3. I mean, give or take, depending where you put No, okay. Chapter 3, and we see it's the work of redemption all the way to the end. So here, going back to this, and I do want to touch just a little bit on the first two. What, what do the gifts tell us? Each of you as followers of Jesus have gifts. What does it tell you? My first point was and is this morning, our gifts reveal our need for Christ and each other. Right? Absolutely. Paul says now, right? He's been talking about this wonderful illustration. Now he is speaking to the Corinthians. He's speaking to this church. And he says, guess what? You are the body of Christ. And you are members individually. Can we say that true of every believer? Yes, you are now. If you follow Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and Savior, you are now part of the body of Christ. That may sound like something you've heard before. Here Paul is in the context of gifts. He's stressing this moment. You are now, at this present moment, this time you are members of the body. So he says, in essence, you have a place and a function. You are important. If you're connected to Christ, right, vertically, and we know him as our Savior, we are therefore connected horizontally. I've said often, you, you have a responsibility to love everyone who comes to church, right? You don't get to say, you know what, I like this guy, I don't like that guy, right? We do that in our family sometimes. I love my kids, I just don't like that one right now, 
right? Sometimes in the church we do that, but it's like, I'm going to sit over there. I'm not sitting on that side. And Paul is really, in essence, he's waving this all aside. I heard a pastor one time say, you know, as, as an individual, you come to church as a dirt clod. And I was like, wait, that sounds a little bit offensive, right? He says, no, but as a dirt clod forms with other dirt clods, you become an island. He goes, that's, that's the illustration he took. And I was like, yes, yeah, some of those really are dirt clods. You know what I mean? Some of them, you're right. But it's like this. You don't get to pick and choose in the body of Christ. You do have a responsibility. This is very important for the Corinthian church. It's very important for our church today. That we would not, right, in pride, be, be you know, putting up walls between our brothers and our sisters. And Paul says, look, here it is. You have a responsibility to the church. The church is not a building. It's those sitting next to you. And your gifts have a responsibility to help them, assist them grow in Christ, just as they have that responsibility in your life. So Paul is saying, every one of us, we need Christ, right? We we need it for salvation. We also need each other, and we become, right, the body of Christ. So that was the first point. We understand that we need Christ, we need others. And then my second point, and this was again, we covered last week, two weeks ago, excuse me. Uh, in verse 28, I said, our gifts reveal the mind of God. They really show us some insights into how God thinks, if we could say that, if that's fair to say. Now, I do want to say that I'm not speaking that we can understand all the mind of God. We know that God is incomprehensible, but what the Lord has uh, revealed to us in his word, we can know. And I think there's some insight here about gifts that direct us into how God thinks a little bit about his church. And Paul says in verse 28, and God has appointed, right? We see the direction, the hand of God. We see the sovereignty of God. We see God decreeing these things in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. I think it's important to to just sit there and say, what what does it mean that God has appointed? It means God has placed for his own use, his own purpose. God has a purpose in the church. I don't know if you've ever had that thought. We just get together on Sundays. We kind of hang out, sing some songs, and go home. Right? It's a little bit more than that. God has a purpose in his church. And Paul goes, look, God has appointed this. And what is it that he has appointed? Well, then he lists out these gifts. The first one was apostles. I know we talked on this a few weeks ago, so I'm going to kind of go through these, Lord willing, a little quicker. I know that's saying a lot, but I'll try. But the first thing we have to understand about the apostles is simply uh, they are not alive today. Right? An apostle is one who is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. God used them very specifically in the foundation, the building of the church. As a matter of fact, we see the first three of these gifts, apostles, prophets, and teachers, is what Paul is doing right now. He planted Corinth. He's an apostle. He acknowledges that at the beginning of this letter. He has proclaimed the truth of God. He has taught them. He has, he has come and presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now through letter, he is teaching them. I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul is operating in those first three for the foundation of the church. But today, right, as the church exists and as it's forming, we see it going forth. There's no need for apostles. There are some today who believe that. And we'll say here, no they ended. The second gift is the, the prophets, right? These are those who proclaim truth, what the word means. This would be an operation for someone maybe who's going into the mission field who has a desire to take the truth, God's word, and proclaim it to maybe those who have not heard. 
Right? It's focused again on God's teaching, who Christ is. Third is the teachers. God has sent teachers into the church. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that the first three are numbered? I wonder if Paul just got lazy. I don't want to write fourth and fifth, right? He just first, second, third, and then and so on. But we see the first three really as a foundation for what the church is and what the church should be functioning. We see commands of Scripture. Jesus in Matthew 28 says what? Teach all that I have commanded. Don't, not just the things you like. Don't skip over the things you don't like. All that I have given you, teach it all. Right? So God has given to his church teachers. The early church did this, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. So the early church did what? They grabbed what the apostles were teaching, and they studied it. John says it like this in 1 John 4, 6. He says, we are of God. They're the we's. I don't know if I, if I, uh, I bolded them. I can't really tell. I need to get a bigger point size. Even from here, that's difficult. He says, we are of God, meaning believers. John himself included. We are of God. He says, he who knows God hears us. Who's us? The apostles and he who is not of God does not hear us, the apostles, right? Doctrine, teaching, God's word. And then he says, by this we, all of us as believers, know that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Isn't this what we've been saying, right? Jonathan Edwards says, it points you to Christ. Paul is saying, it points you to Christ. Here's what uh, John himself is saying. So we see this. And of course, a very important passage. We need to know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Right? Here's the task. So what is a teacher's job? What's his responsibility? Teach the Word. Point people to Jesus. It's, it's really that simple. One of my seminary professors would say in a pastoral class that your job as a pastor is to prepare people for death. I remember thinking, that sounds a little morbid, right? But he was trying to capture the weight of what it means to open the Word of God, that every soul who hears your voice would be so engrafted in Christ that when that day comes, there's no wavering, there's no hesitation there's desire to see the king face to face. That's my job. And every teacher who takes that seriously should be opening the Bible, right? That's what the gifts are for. Paul goes on, he says, miracles and then gifts of healings. I put these together. I think it's important to note here that the Lord doesn't give that gift. You notice that the Holy Spirit distributes these things. Do we believe that God can do miracles today? Absolutely. Does he do that just through one individual? No, he can do that through anybody he chooses. Right? The focus is always upon God who is the miracle worker. Right, It's focused on Him. We've somehow got that confused today if you're familiar with what's happening uh, in, uh, in what is called Christianity right? in, in America. Uh, he goes on from there, the helps, right? And here's, you notice it's, it's plural. Paul puts it in the plural ending here. Uh, it has the idea of administrative support. There's a wonderful example of this word uh, in Numbers where Moses, and I shared this last time, where if you're familiar with Moses and dealing with the Israelites out in the wilderness, he has, he has a meltdown moment. Right? And, and we as humans can probably identify. He's like, look, if this is all it is, I've got all these people who want meat and they're about killing. If this is how it's going to be, this is what he's saying to God, just, just kill me. 
right? This is, this is, this is a better thing. Just kill me now than, than, than going forward with this, right? I mean, he's just wore out. He's having a little self-centered moment, right? And we can say, okay, Moses, come on. And yet, the Lord, this is what the Lord tells him. In the Numbers 11, verse 17, says, God says, Then I will come down and I will talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the same upon them. He's talking about the 70 other elders who would come and assist Moses. And he said, And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. What do we need to understand? Again, uh, gifts of help do what? They come along, the others doing ministry or assisting in ministry. They're doing the same thing at a greater capacity because there are more who have the Spirit in line with Moses. Right? Moses has helped. He's administered the same ministry, the same direction, the same proclamation, the same messages going forward, but it's now more people taking up uh, the, the banner or the charge, if you will. And we see that. So it's kinds of helps. There's also administrations. These are the people that uh, give good counsel, right? Guidance and understanding. It has this wonderful uh, picture attached to this word as uh, someone steering a ship, right, through, through the storms. And, you know, the other day uh, we had gotten some face masks, my wife and I. We were joking about this because I have the ones that it's like a scar for me, familiar with that. And I left it on my head and it completely took me right to pirate mode. Right, it even changed the way I talked, and I was like, I could get used to it. I got to pirate will, you know, so it looks good, right? Uh, but this is the idea of guidance, right? Someone who can navigate these waters, who can say, you know what, this is what it is, and you begin to see the bigger picture as you take a step back and look at these gifts, right? Even though this isn't exhaustive, Paul listed other gifts earlier and later, and then in other letters, they're different, but he, you get this picture of Paul saying, look. You might have somebody who's got a burden in ministry and is feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And then somebody with the gift of administration comes in and says, you know what, I can help you. We can do this. Have you ever thought about that? And the person may go, oh my goodness, that's, this, this changes everything. And then others in the church go, you know what, I can help you with that. And then we begin to see how all these gifts, how the body begins to function. This is why Paul can say every single one of you is important to the church. We're going to see the, the ministry go forward. And then the last one he puts on here is uh, varieties of tongues, right? Different languages. Paul's going to spend a big deal on this in chapter 14. We'll get there, Lord willing. So what does all this mean? Why do we cover these gifts? What is, why do I say this, that these gifts reveal the mind of God? The beginning of this chapter, we see the activity of the Trinity, right? The Spirit, the Son, and, the, and the, of course, the Father. And so I've just taken three verses. What, what does it mean, right? If you look at this, and, and of course, God the Father says this in Matthew 17, 5, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased to hear him. So God the Father wants us to hear Christ. Come and listen to Jesus. Come sit at his feet. He validates him here. I am well pleased. Not just pleased, well pleased. We see that in Colossians. They're pleased the Father to bruise the Son. He's very pleased with this. Listen to him. God the Father points to Jesus. What does God the Son say? God the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says this, And, and uh, when he, the Spirit of truth, Holy Spirit, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he... The Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority. 
But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's going to glorify the Son. For he will take of what is mine and declare to you all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. So you have the first person of the Trinity saying, listen to my son Jesus. The, second, or the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who's saying what? I am going to glorify Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to come here on my own. I'm going to make known to you who Christ is, that you would know him. Now what does God the Son say about this? John 6, 54 through 58, Jesus speaking, of course, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So what is Christ speaking of? Is it atonement, the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross? What do we see? All of the Trinity focused on what? Who Christ is. Hear him. I will glorify him. This is my body. If you are with me, if you drink of me, my blood, my flesh, you have parts, you have life. Takes us right back to the manna, right? Moses complaining. They want meat. They're tired of manna. This, as Christ says, is everything. Why is this important? Right? Why is God, why did he create the church and why does he give gifts this way? Because he believes that you and I have a sin problem. He believes you and I are born. See, Adam, I know I've joked about this. You know, before I hug him in heaven, I might punch him, right? There's that kind of component there. But see, when Adam ate, we ate. We rebelled. We were born in rebellion. John 3.18, right? If you don't believe, you're condemned. We, are, we were condemned people. God knows this. God sends his son. That we might be a redeemed people. How wonderful is God? His purpose and plan is that you would know Christ. Outside of Jesus, there is utterly no hope. You know, last time I had mentioned uh, this, these things called Sunday Assembly. They've actually began in London, and now they're popular, at least in L.A. Uh, their website says they're growing, and they are atheistic churches, right? Churches not divine in the Christian sense at all, right? They assemble. There are people who maybe who grew up in church, I don't know, uh, whatever that means, and they assemble because they like the songs, they like to hear good things, and it has nothing to do with Jesus, Right? And at least to their credit, they acknowledge that. We just simply don't believe in Christ. But we like all the other things that come with it, right? Getting together with other people, having community, having potlucks. They don't mention that, but I'm sure that's in there somewhere, right? Uh, there's that, always that one di- dessert or dish someone brought. I, oh, hey, we like for No. I, they don't say that, but it's amazing that this is what is happening. And then as I was thinking a little bit more this, this week and going back over this, I thought, how many churches in America today are like one step away from that? Still have, right, the acknowledgments that we're going to call ourselves Christian and, and Christ and yet say nothing about 
Jesus. And yet we see right the foundation of the church. Why has God started the church? Why has he given them apostles? We have the church. Why does he give that gift of prophecy? The, the, the truth would be proclaimed. Why does he give teachers to his church? That you would know his son, right? Hear him, right? The Holy Spirit's going to do what? I'm going to glorify Christ. It's an easy way. It's a litmus test, right? If Christ isn't being glorified and lifted up, you might think, I don't know if the Spirit's at work, right? As we think about the reciprocal so I think out of this, there's an application. One, we need to come and we need to know Christ. You need to know him. You better be convinced that you know Christ. Don't, don't waver in that. Right? There is utterly no hope. Right? The wrath of God that, that is demonstrated at Calvary, you will experience that for eternity outside of Christ. I think also it should lead us to pray for the church. I often I pray for an awakening, Lord, in your church. Come back to the gospel. It truly is the answer, isn't it? It's the answer for us. It's the answer for who are, who are lost. I don't think the, the therapeutic, you know, superdelic, you know, psycho Jesus, what's, I think I said something on our, our Thursday night, I mentioned that. Superdelic, no, it doesn't matter now, but uh, we, we, we teach a, a therapeutic Jesus, right? We, we, we believe that you're a victim and, and the Lord can help you find your best life now or something. And we don't teach that you're your own worst enemy. It's your heart that is hard, right? But God has the answer. That's the gospel. So we see it reveals the mind of, of God. We see our gifts uh, and it shows us the need for Christ. We need each other. We need the body. And my third point uh, here is in verses 29 through 30, I just simply see our, our gifts reveal the uniqueness, our uniqueness and importance he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do you all have gifts of healings? Do you all speak with tongues? Do you all interpret? Well, quite clearly, we come to this point, these rhetorical questions, and we simply say, uh, yeah, it's not about you, and it's not about me, but it is clearly about each and every one of us. Uh, the church, you know, doesn't, uh, we are not all these things, an individual rights, but we need all these things. We needed the church to be founded, and we needed those who would proclaim the truth. We need the scriptures open. We need them taught, right? We need to be able to use our gifts and encourage and build. Isn't it comforting to know that your gift, in whatever fashion way, is, is part of leading people to Christ? If the Holy Spirit is, is at work, he's doing something through you as you love your neighbor, as you share something with your neighbor, as you do different ministries and works, it's doing something to encourage something towards Christ. And so Paul lists this out and he says, here's, here's the absolute denial, right? There could be no mistake here. And he doesn't do this like, uh, you know, hey, there's, there's any hint here. I mean, it's an absolute denial of, of the idea that we all can, someone can contain all these. I don't know if you've ever come across someone, there has always been those false people or false teachers who think they're Christ, who think they fulfill these things. And Paul here, I mean, let alone other places of Scripture, right, is refuting all of that. It's as if he's saying, you know, we come to this rhetorical moment, or these rhetorical questions, and we have to simply say, yeah, we're not all this, right? We're not all that. And the focus is not you know, entirely upon unity. It's not entirely to say, hey, we're disjointed, but he's, he's saying to the church, there is planned diversity, 
Not all of us. I know we, we joke about this. I did a few weeks back that, you know, when we stub our toe, we see how we learn how important our toe is. And, uh, you know, none of us have ever had, at least to my knowledge, have ever stubbed our toe and our foot said, you know what, that's the third time you've done it this week. I'm not helping you out anymore. Right? We, we just, our foot doesn't do that. The, the foot kicks in, it adjusts, the hands grab something to hold us, right? Our ears hear what comes out of our mouth at that moment, right? It, they all work together. There's, there's wonderful diversity in your body, but yet every, uh, every part has a function, and we see within the body of Christ, there is planned diversity. God intended it to be this way. Have you ever thought about other churches and other ministries and, and how they, they cover the same things? The things we're commanded to do, we do, right? But there's different ministries that come out of different churches. Why is that? Because there's different people operating a different way to, to seek a different task or, or whatever might be in the community or whatever the ministry might be. It looks a little different. I think that's wonderful. I think it's also encouraging as a pastor to know that all the gifts that we need to do ministry are right here in this building. And everyone said, all right, some of you are unsure of that, I think. Some of you are thinking, not only is pastor, I'm not, I don't know. If I'm a toe, I'm, I'm the toenail, and often I've got some type of fungus on me, right? <laughs> well, it's just not the case. It's not what he's saying. There's times for gifts to grow, absolutely. There's times to try different ministries. We may say, no, that's, that's not it. But we need to realize that God doesn't mess up. Holy Spirit didn't, didn't go, oh, shoot. And we see that through Scripture. So I think it's very important for us to realize that every person, every, every person, saved, redeemed, has gifts, has purpose, right? Has a position in the church, there should be no pride. There should be none of us saying, you know what, I wish I had those gifts. No, be thankful that the Holy Spirit uses us in any way. I think often the church has, has uh, had this idea that it doesn't matter what shape you are as far as a round peg, square peg, or, or a rectangle, or whatever it might be. We just have this idea in the church that we don't care what size you are. We're going to shove you into this, this ministry over here. And you're going to say, that's a round hole, and I'm square. And if it's like, all right, in Jesus' name, we'll get you in there. Don't worry. Right? Sometimes we treat ministry this way. And I think what Paul is saying, if there is planned diversity in the church, the church needs to take a step back and say, oh, what are our gifts? What, what is represented here? What are the things that, that, that are here in Faith Community Bible Church that we can put into action? What are ministries that maybe need to change? What are ministries that maybe need to begin? And maybe you're, you know, the Lord has been stirring your heart saying, I have this gift. I don't know where to go. Well, maybe the next step is to connect you with someone who has the gift of administration that says, you know what, here's a plan. And then maybe as we pray and we, and we work through those things, maybe some others who have the gift of helps come along and assist. Let's see this ministry go forward. Instead of saying, hey, here's the round hole, get in there, right? Reminds me of the story of, in 2003, of... <clears throat> Some troops from Denmark joined the security forces in Iraq. And although the Danes struggled with the temperatures of 120 degrees, right? It's true to anyone. They were prepared for the worst, which was a blizzard in their mind. It says the 400 soldiers from Denmark came to Iraq ready for their mission and equipped with snow shovels, brooms, and a lawnmower. When asked about the Danish equipment, Jess Ramusen from the Danish Army Operational Command material, material Section said, it's all part of a standard camp equipment. 
He added it should have been taken out before shipment, but makes no harm. You know, too often, I think, the church is like this. We just say, here's the snow shovel, get at it. And you go, that's not my gift. And we say, tough, here's the snow shovel, get at it. I remember being in Oklahoma and uh, snow coming, and we did go around snow shovel. We took some snow shovels, so there's a time for that. And we shoveled off uh, all the porches of our widows and, and shut-ins, made sure that they could get to their cars. And I remember, after about one or two driveways, going, this is really difficult work, right? Did anyone shovel snow? Yeah, it makes you, wanna, makes you be thankful for California in the valley, doesn't it? Yeah, like, man, this is no good. So sometimes we have that gift, but honestly, sometimes we may come to a situation where we don't need a snow shovel. What we need is a, is a lift. Oh, we need someone to go take people over this. We don't need to shovel it, right? And we begin to see the gifts operate, and someone says, here's what, here's what I think we can do. So instead of forcing people to, to, to get their shovels and shovel, it's to say, what are your gifts? And let's go that direction. And the last point here, uh, our gifts reveal, as we've seen, you know, Christ, our need for Christ and others. It reveals the mind of God. It shows that we're unique. It shows that you're important to the body, every single person. And lastly, our gifts reveal the honor of serving. Uh, in verse 31, Paul says this, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. Paul's going to go into chapter 13, right? And he's going to talk about love. And he's going to talk about this wonderful gift of love that, that uh, well, it's not really a gift. Every one of us can do it, right? It's not something that, well, I don't have the gift of love. You, you can't say that, right? Everyone has this. It's something everyone can do. And Paul says, desire this. Desire the best gifts. You know, here you have the Corinthians who were, who were really zealous for these gifts. It was very important to them. This is what Paul is giving instruction about. And, and a lot of their motive was the social standard. How am I looked upon from society? Right? There's a wrong motive there. And Paul rejects really this whole view. As he talks about gifts, he simply comes back and he says, you know, desire the best gifts. You know, it's good to have gifts and it's important to the body, but desire the better ones. Right? Don't be so content that I have this one gift, that I'm all that, and, and uh, just said in the 80s, a bag of Cheetos or something, right? He says, understand that you're part, everyone has a, has, a, has a place in this. But even beyond these things, seek the better gift, rooted in love. And see, we today, as, as followers of Christ, we have the honor of serving. Paul, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22, said this, for he who is called... And the Lord, while a slave, is the Lord's freedman. It says, likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Jesus says it like this, Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We are owned by Christ. We have an honor to serve Christ. Our gifts are given to make Christ known. He is the head. And Paul says, seek the better gifts. Seek the, the better way to, to communicate Christ. Paul urges them that, 
their desire for spirituality is not some religious technique, right? Let's just do it this way or have this kind of, of process thought through it. This is desire, right? The work of the Holy Spirit. And through this, we know the Holy Spirit is going to point to Jesus. Should edify the body, encourage one another, strengthen. All of this is rooted in love. It sets us apart from the world. You know, earlier in my office, I was talking to my oldest son and talking about this, this very thing, what sets the, the, the church, really what sets it different from society. How does God manifest his presence on the earth today? It's you and I coming together in the name of Jesus, worshiping on a Sunday, being different than the world. And by this, right, our unity in truth, in God's truth, the world sees something radically different than anything else. And so Paul says, here it is. You have gifts. You have, the, you have the honor of serving. You have gifts that reveal the mind of God. You see God's desire that we would know his son. We see the Holy Spirit at work saying, I'm going to glorify the son. And Jesus telling us, I have come that you might be redeemed. This is the message. This is the gospel. And we should, with our gifts, be at the disposal of Jesus. How do you want me to serve? Where can I go? Instead of focusing on these other things, we say, Lord, use me somehow, some way. Take these gifts, bring them out of me. Not for my, uh, my benefit, but for your glory. John Stott, when he was a graduate at Cambridge, uh, he spoke of one of the librarians who was a refugee from Poland. He said he was uh, so polite to the point of flattery, <clears throat> but his command of the English language was defective. He said, whenever you entered the library, he would come forward and make a bow, and, and he would say, please dispose of me how you wish. He said, one had visions of picking him up between the forefinger and the thumb and disposing him in the waste paper basket or rubbish bin. But he went on to say what he meant was, he was at our disposal. John Stott went on to say, but good English, or excuse me, but bad English was good theology. Because if we are at Christ's disposal, he may dispose of us as he wishes. And we see the purpose and the intent of the church. Make Christ known. You know, as, as we look at this passage and as I've been working through this passage and praying about this passage, I, you know, I've grown in my conviction that just as I said earlier, we want to see not only your importance in the church, but see you, you use your gifts for the glory of Christ. All of our gifts are given. And God didn't mess up. He didn't make a mistake. And God has given Faith Community Bible Church a wonderful congregation, wonderful gifts that are here. And as I was working through this passage, we, uh, we did something a, a few weeks back that pertains to this in regards to our bylaws. We voted on our bylaws to make some changes. That uh, here shortly, we're going to be putting together a vetting committee. And we're going to have this and ask this committee to, to begin the process of looking at elders and deacons and deaconesses for our leadership. And so I wanted to come to this, this moment and say, you know what, in our, in our, you know, from the top down, we want to put people in position who have the right gifts. And so next Sunday, I'm, I'm going to take a, a moment. Well, I know that sounds funny for a pastor to say a moment, but I'm going to take the, the Sunday message and I would like to take some time and, and go through God's word and what it means to be an elder. 
and what it means to be a deacon and what it means to be a deaconess. That we as a body would understand what God's Word says on this. And then we want to ask this committee going forward to say, you know, what are these gifts? And let's put the, make sure we have the right people in the right area. Leadership down and then begin to assess other gifts that are here and, and begin to pray about other ministries that God might be stirring us and directing us towards. I see this pandemic as opportunity to move forward. God always has his people. He always has his church. He is a sovereign God. There might be different ways of doing ministry, but I'm excited about what the Lord is going to do in the midst of this. And so out of this, I, I would like to, following this, this Sunday's message next Sunday, and I encourage you to pray this week about your gifts. Hopefully this, this, this has been stirring you and to get off your hands, right, and say, you know what, I have a gift, but I haven't found a place for that. Well, then you need to come and talk with me. Let's, let's pray about what ministry looks like uh, with what the Lord has laid upon your hearts in line with your gifting. But uh, next Sunday, what I'd like to do is, following the message, I'll have uh, hard copies available of a gifts assessment test. I know that sounds encouraging, right? It's not really a test. It's just a fill-out thing. Although I will grade you later. No, I won't do that. Uh, it's for your benefit. We'll have hard copies. We can also email it. It's no problem. We can direct it to you. Uh, but I would like to just begin to see where are our gifts? What is the Lord doing? That may sound a little fearful, but I want to challenge you and set this in front of you. God didn't make a mistake in creating you. God didn't make a mistake in saving you. And God surely hasn't made a mistake in equipping you for ministry. I believe that with complete conviction. And so if you're unsure of that, I would just encourage you to fill it out. I think we'll just ask everyone to do it. It might be a good reminder for some of us. I'll do it. Um, mine will be perfect. It'll be, I'll pass because I have the grading sheet. No, um, we'll all go through it and we'll find what it is. But I'd like to, to understand that your gifts. And then as we begin the vetting committee for our elders and our deacons and our deaconesses is to begin to look at gifts, begin to ask the right questions, biblical questions that say, are you, do you have gifts in this area? And then we're not just going to say, here's your gifts. We're going we're to create ways in which you can operate in your gifts and find expression for those gifts. And maybe it's in ministries that are already happening. That's great. And then there, maybe there's something else. We'll pray about that. We trust the Lord. I love how uh, Paul lays this out. Just in closing, uh, he says, right, going back to verse 4, uh, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's diversity in us, planned diversity. Verse 5, there are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. Not all of us will be in the same types of ministry. But you see how our gifts lead towards ministry. And then we see in verse 6, and there are diversities of activities. It's the same God who works all in all. So your gifts, they, they, they grow into ministries which ultimately develop into activities. God is moving you from just knowing your gift into the working of your gift. This is the work of the Trinity. This is where God is doing. Hear his son. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. For this day, this time, this moment, thank you, Lord, for each soul that is here. I pray that they are encouraged this morning by your word. I pray, Lord, that you would grow us in understanding. We ask for your spirit as always, Lord, to be with us, teaching us, uh, Lord, what your word means. What it means not just in, in knowledge, but in application and wisdom, Lord, seeing it worked out in our daily lives. So, God, I pray for us. I pray that... Uh, as we take this week to pray about gifts and the direction and, Lord, which you're leading us, which has always been 
um, in line with your word. So we want to be there. We want to be obedient to your word. We want to see uh, your word in application in every area. And the Lord, now, even now, I pray over next Sunday's message as we look what elders are to be doing, what deacons are to be doing, what deaconesses are to be doing, and uh, looking at our vetting committees and understanding these things. And Lord, each of us having gifts, taking them seriously and what you want us to do. Uh, let us, Lord, never have the thought that we're unimportant or insignificant to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Lord, you do not make mistakes. And I pray if that thought comes that it will be quickly met, Lord, with the knowledge of who you are, that you are God, you are sovereign, you are in control. Lord, let us realize and know that you know us better than we know ourselves. Every breath we breathe is given to us by you. It is a gift. So Lord, let us see and have eyes to trust, Lord, a, a resolve that's, that's firmly planted in confidence of who Christ is and making Christ known. So Lord, lead us that way. And we just, again, commit our lives, Lord, this church, this time, all of it to you, praying, Lord, your blessing upon it, and may it be always for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.